Listen to this. In 1936, six years into our country's Great Depression, Fortune magazine sent a young writer named James Agee and a young photographer named Walker Evans into the rural south to capture the lives of sharecroppers destroyed by the economic disaster. Agee tried to write a magazine article to match Evans' brilliant documentary photographs, but he failed. Then he tried to write a book that captured the lives of those same sharecroppers, but once again he failed. James Agee failed for five years straight, and then he emerged with the sprawling mess of a nonfiction book called Let Us Now Praise Famous Men. It's a book that Agee used to explain why and how he had failed to tell the stories of those families. It was a book explaining how anyone would have failed to capture the ephemeral experiences of a generation of farmers paying off outrageous debts on busted farmland in a bankrupt country. I'm journalist and author Jason Vogue, and this is the Sad Men Podcast, telling the stories of how men and women writers survived the Great Depression. Now listen to this. Giller Prize-winning author Joanna Skibscrub thinks that A.G.'s book was a masterpiece, and it is a deep influence on her most recent novel, Quartet for the End of Time. I called Joanna to get her take on A.G.'s book. Very early on in the project, he realized that the magazine article that he had been, you know, commissioned to write was just not, uh, was not large enough, um, was not the correct form for what he uh, wanted to, to try and transmit, and it became this sort of sprawling, um, you know, masterpiece, I think, of uh, um, his sort of attempt to um, understand what it means to be a human in the world. Quartet for the End of Time follows the tumultuous lives of fictional creators who endured the trials of the 1930s and 40s. Agee's work had seeped deep into her language, her characters, and even her way of seeing the world. And I have uh, this little quote um, that I picked out. He's trying to figure out, you know, how he can talk about the house, how he can uh, represent a house. And he says, um, I wanted to realize this not merely with the counting mind, nor with the imagination of the eye, which is no realization at all, but with the whole of the body and being and in translations of the senses, so that in part at least they become extra human. This, this work, this ambition of AG's was just not going to be confined um, to, you know, um, the space for magazine article. James Agee lived with three families while writing his book, including sharecropper Ellie Mae Burroughs. She later spoke about the book. We didn't believe that the times would get any better with us, she said. A.G. was trying to encourage me that they would. He told me that I might not live to see it, but my children would have a better living than we was having then. They got a better living. He was right. I did live to see it. So why read his book anymore? Out of everything I learned from Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, I have clung to A.G.'s sense of hope for the last ten years, a hope maintained even though he had seen and known so much failure in his life. Joanna offered a bit of advice for anybody opening A.G.'s Let Us Now Praise Famous Men for the first time. It should be approached like a poem, in a way. Poetry, I think, you know, requires us to slow down and um, to take part more in a work of literature, in the poem itself, in the process of, of that poem and sort of become an active participant. And I think that that is what uh, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men requires of us. And I think that that's a, a really, um, you know, an incredible um, 
invitation and a real privilege um, that, that literature does when it does open itself up to the reader in that way. A.G. wanted his readers to try and understand. He wanted to put his readers as close as he could put us to those miserable years. He wrote at one point, get a radio or a phonograph capable of the most extreme loudness possible and sit down and listen to a performance of Schubert's C major symphony. That's the music playing right now. But A.G. didn't want us to just sit down and listen. I mean this, he wrote, turn it on as loud as possible and then get down on the floor and jam your ear as close to the speakers as you can get it and stay there breathing lightly as possible not moving neither eating nor smoking nor drinking concentrate everything you can into your hearing and into your body you won't hear the music nicely if it hurts you be glad of it as near as you will ever get you are inside it you are it. Your body is no longer the shape and substance. It is the shape and substance of the music. That's the closest thing I have for a metaphor for this podcast. Clunky speakers blasting words from a time before headphones and computers and smartphones. I want to let those old voices run loose all over again. I want them to bang and clatter, make the noise that they made 70 years ago again. I want to approximate the feeling of those words, these words meant to rattle a generation. The great composer Schumann once described Schubert's symphony. A horn is heard from a distance, he wrote. It seems to come from another sphere. Here, everything listens as if a heavenly spirit were wandering through the orchestra. A heavenly spirit wandering through the orchestra that is the best way to remember James Agee, a manic writer who influenced a whole generation of nonfiction writers, even when he spectacularly failed to write what he wanted to write. Listen to his music.